So a few weeks ago, day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, um, we were at my aunt and uncle's house, and I was working out, and got a call from my aunt and uncle, um, actually from my aunt, and um, they were out looking for a fridge because the day before on Thanksgiving, their fridge went out. Terrible day for your fridge to go out. But they're out looking for a fridge, and uh, yeah, they needed a measurement for something, and uh, Heather answers the phone. She's like, hey, uh, can you come help? And I'm like, I kind of begrudgingly, I'm like, fine, so I pause my workout, go. And... Um, I just had a hard time measuring the space. It was kind of tricky, so I, I get frustrated and made some um, sharp remarks that we don't need to repeat. And um, my aunt was on speakerphone listening to it all, and uh, I just walked away and didn't get the measurement and went back to my workout. It wasn't one of my finer moments as a husband or a follower of Jesus. So later, I, I apologized for being irritable and sharp. My wife, Heather, eventually responded by saying, I forgive you, but I need you to know how you made me feel. You just left and made me measure a tall space, and I'm not as tall as you. And you embarrassed me. Because you were irritable, not just with me, but with your aunt listening on the phone right in front of us. And I was incredibly humbled by that. But I was grateful. I was grateful for Heather's grace in choosing to forgive me, because I'm positive she didn't want to. And I'm also grateful for her assertiveness. See, I had no idea the extent of what I had done to her. I needed to know what I had done so I could learn from it. I downplayed it in my mind quite a bit. Assertive is the second key to a Christ-centered marriage. But this needs a lot of explanation because it almost sounds not Christ-like to some when you hear it. And we're going to get to that today. But last week we talked about how the starting point for a Christ-centered marriage is being secure, finding your security in Christ alone, not in your spouse or anyone else. But why are we talking about marriage? I addressed this a little bit last week, but I want to talk about this again. Why are we talking about marriage and not Christmassy things right now? And we will on Christmas Eve. It will be all about the birth of Christ. I promise you that. But us as elders, we just felt that Families really need this, this time of year. See, marriages are struggling in our nation. Marriages are struggling in the church. Marriages are struggling in our church right now. And even if your marriage isn't struggling much, if we're all honest, we're all in need of a tune-up in our marriage. By the way, the best time to, to get help individually or as a couple, and this isn't just true in marriage, this is true in general, is actually when problems are just starting to surface. If you, if you wait until you're in crisis mode, it, it's a lot harder to pivot. 
But if, as soon as things kind of start to show themselves, you're more level-headed and you're able to adjust better. So, so please, I beg you, as, uh, not just as a pastor and as a counselor, but um, just as, as a hu- fellow human being, like for your own good and for God's glory, when things start to surface, start to press in and deal with it then. Don't wait till it gets terrible. But many of the principles that we'll be going through in these scriptures apply to all relationships. So if you're here and you're not married, don't tune out. These pro- most of these apply to just about every relationship in your life. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you turn with me to Ephesians 4, 25 to 32... Ephesians 4, 25 to 32, and um, welcome, everybody. Uh, This scripture is probably the most practical scripture in all of the Bible for marriage, but it's interesting because it's often not thought of as a marriage scripture because it, it isn't directly addressing marriage. It's addressing all sorts of relationships between followers of Christ, but today we're going to apply it to marriage. And if you're married, I would encourage you, I would challenge you to come back to this scripture over and over and over because you'll need it. I need this scripture every day in my marriage, and I think you'll see why real fast. So Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness Anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Assertive. Assertive means a lot of different things in a marriage. The first thing we see in this scripture in verse 25, it means openly sharing your frustrations and concerns. Verse 25, therefore, Putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, verse 24 says to put on the new self that was created according to God's likeness. So here in verse 25, he's saying, here's how you put on that new self that is to be more godly. Here's how you do it. The first thing it says to do to be this new godly self is to put away lying. It doesn't say that everything you ever think or feel should be shared. That's especially important in marriage. That's a recipe for disaster. It's good and godly to have a filter, see the whole book of Proverbs. But it does say to stop lying to one another. And in marriage, stop lying to your spouse. Now, obviously, don't straight up lie to your spouse. But also, this means stop sending mixed signals to your spouse. If you don't like a meal that your spouse makes for you, don't say it's the best meal you've ever had. 
they're going to eventually start to see through that. Passive aggressiveness isn't healthy or helpful either. The Gottman Institute, um, which has done some incredible research on marriage, uh, says here's some warning signs of passive aggression. You know something's off, but it might be hard to put your finger on it. You're confident that your partner is mad at you, even though they claim they are not. They say they are joking, but the joke isn't funny. You start to wonder if they are talking about you behind your back. Their smiles or kind words seem disingenuous and insincere. See, Ephesians 4.25 is saying, stop doing things like that. Dramatic mind games with your spouse are not of God. The second thing Ephesians 4.25 teaches is it says to speak the truth. Now, in a minute, we're going to look at a couple other verses in Ephesians 4 to give us good guardrails, especially Ephesians 4.15 and, and verse 29, to give us good guardrails. But I'm telling you, more marriages are suffering not because they're lying to one another in the marriage, but because they're not assertively sharing the truth with one another. Prepare and Enrich, which is a respected and reliable marriage assessment organization, said it like this. Assertiveness is a, value, is a valuable communication skill. In successful couples, both individuals tend to be quite assertive. Rather than assuming their partner can read their minds, they share how they feel and ask clearly and directly for what they want. I think that's really well put. So do you ask clearly and directly for what you want in marriage? Can you even recall a time that you did that recently? Does that, even that thought of that sound crazy to you? See, I'm not near as concerned when couples are fighting. I'm more concerned when they're not talking much. Because they're, they're probably living a lie to some degree. There's always tension and friction within relationships. That's the nature of two sinful human beings being in relationship. See, if, if you're in a relationship and there's not much tension, and things, are, things are actually going well, praise God. But, but usually there is and it's just not being addressed. And one or both of you is, is checked out and probably doesn't care. Pastor Matt Chandler was talking about marriage. I thought this was, was incredibly insightful. Um, and he was dating, he was talking about when he was dating his now wife, and they were, they were fighting about something. It was like one of the first times they were fighting about something. And so he went to one of his mentors and, and said, hey, I need some help. And his mentor's like, is this the type of gal you could see yourself fighting with the rest of your life? And he's like, you know it is. And he's like, well, then you should, you should, probably, you should probably stick it out. But that, that's what it's like. It's not like. it's not like you're always fighting, but that's what marriage is. There's, there's tension. There's friction. And so it isn't if there'll be conflict. It's when there'll be conflict. And how are we going to deal with it? And we're going to talk about that more on how to deal with it well in a good godly way. But notice at the end of verse 25 here is the motivation for being assertive. Because we are members of one another. So this is true for all of us who follow Christ in, in God's family. But this is doubly true if you're married. We saw last week in Ephesians 5, the two will become one. 
So you are now one. So what's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. So if, if you're not assertive and truthful with one another, you have false unity in your relationship. Everything seems to be fine, but it's not. And when the truth comes out, your relationship will be hit hard. So assertive means we need to openly share our frustrations and concerns. Next we see in verses 26 and 27 that assertive means not bottling up your frustrations. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Now verse 26 teaches us it's not wrong to be angry with our spouse. Just feel the freedom in that for a second. It's not wrong to be angry with your spouse. That's normal. It's natural, actually, to feel angry towards, to feel anger towards your spouse. It's also normal and natural to aggressively erupt in anger at your spouse. But the way of Christ is not sinning when we're angry. So that natural, normal response is in your anger sinning. So that is wrong to aggressively erupt. So it teaches us here it's not wrong to be angry, but next it teaches us to not let the sun go down on your anger. Another way you could sin in your anger, besides aggressively erupting, would be to bottle it up. See, time does not heal all wounds, especially in marriage. Now, it's not saying to never go to bed angry, this scripture. Sometimes a good night's sleep is exactly what you need. Staying up till 2 a.m. could probably do harm to your marriage more than good. In fact, most of the time, that's not a healthy thing to do in a marriage. You may just need to call a time out. We'll address this again tomorrow, and we'll do it at this certain time. It's good to not just shove it under the rug and never deal with it again and bottle it up, but it, it could be good just to get some sleep. This is a metaphor. He's saying don't let anger fester and boil. See, the devil seems to find in our lives where we've kind of cracked open the door to sin in our lives. And he, he does whatever he can to get us to just crack the door open. And then he takes it from there and just kind of swings the door wide open to sin. So when it says, don't give the devil an opportunity here, in verse 27... He's saying, don't leave the door cracked for the devil in your marriage or in any relationship. So let me just put some flesh to this. Any, anytime you bottle up anger or resentment toward your spouse and don't address it, you're inviting the devil into your marriage. The devil loves peacekeeping. God loves peacemaking. Peacekeeping is trying to keep the peace and pretending everything's okay. That's not of God. Peacemaking is actually trying to resolve things and work through things together. Also, anytime you aggressively erupt in anger at your spouse, you're inviting the devil into your marriage. The devil loves peace breaking and destroying, but God loves peacemaking in a healthy way, working through things. So to sum up the teaching here, in this scripture, because we, we've got to get this right in marriage. First, it says, 
it's good to be assertive in your marriage. And then it says it's not wrong to feel frustrated. That's normal. But it is wrong to be aggressive with your frustration toward your spouse. But it's also wrong to bottle up your frustration. Now, some of that might seem a bit confusing, so let's bring some clarity. Uh, What do we do then? Well, the scripture continues, verse 29. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. You know, in in Ephesians 4.15, it says, speak the truth in love. I think the most concise way to put this whole passage is this. Be assertive, but not aggressive. Assertive, but not aggressive. If you're assertive without a loving approach, you'll come across as aggressive and insensitive. And if, if we're just honest, men, we've got a lot of work to do. Some women as well. But men especially, we have a lot of work to do in this department of being assertive, but having a loving approach. So how do we do that? Verse 29 really helps us. And, and what verse 29 is really getting at is being on the same team. You and your spouse are on the same team. And you're like, well, yeah, I already know that. But do you treat them like they're on the same team in your mind? This will make or break any attempt to be honest with your spouse. And it will also make or break any attempt to listen to the honesty of your spouse. Are you going to treat them as your enemy or as your teammate? See, teammates don't call each other names. It says no foul language here. Enemies call each other names like lazy, idiot, selfish. Teammates never bring up leaving the team. That's not an option. Enemies threaten to leave the team regularly to get what they want. You see, divorce, the D word, is not helpful and appropriate. It should not be a bargaining chip in a marriage. That's foul language. Teammates are trying to help the team win. It says building each other up. They they don't bring assertive concerns to make the other person feel like trash. The goal is to build one another up. It's to strengthen your marriage and to strengthen them. You're on the same team. Teammates... It says, give grace to those who hear. So you give your partner the benefit of the doubt. You put yourself in their shoes. Maybe they had a really stressful day at work, so you need to give them some grace today. Maybe, maybe they had a long week of travel, and you need to give them a grace, some grace. Maybe they've, they've had a long day with the kids, and you need to give them some grace. So while I still need to assertively share my concerns, I need to give grace to my spouse. And, I, and, and so what that means sometimes, and this is kind of, could be a whole nother sermon, and we've talked about this before here for sure, but sometimes we just need to overlook the offense. Like there might be something that, that happens or they do or that's just rubbing you wrong that you're able to legitimately just let go of. Praise God. But a lot of things, you try to trick yourself into it. You're like, oh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this go. I'm not going to hold it against it. Like, not, you know. But then over time, bitterness and resentment starts to build. Well, if that's what's happening, then you haven't let it go. You can't do that, and you need to address it. So 
We need to give each other grace as much as possible. And we need to give each other grace if they don't respond well. So let me give you an example. Let's say you have a concern with your spouse. And your concern is this, that we need, we need more time to undistractedly connect with one another. You, you feel like we're just not getting time where we're not interrupted, where we're just connecting. That's, that's an understandable concern. Let's say you go to them, though, and say, hey, we need, we need some more time to undistractedly connect. And your spouse says, when? We're so busy. How would that ever happen? You have a choice in that moment. You can treat them like the enemy. And you could say something like, sorry I even brought it up. Which is an insincere apology, of course, right? You didn't actually mean sorry. That's, that's probably another sermon as well. A whole sermon on insincere forms of apology. That would be interesting. But you could treat them like the enemy and say something like that. Sorry I even brought it up and walk away. Or you could give grace to them. And acknowledge their concern and say, yeah, you're right. We are way too busy. So what if we canceled this this week or canceled this indefinitely in our lives and just spent time together, went out or stayed in or whatever you guys like doing together? Maybe even offer to give up one of your things, one of your hobbies, perhaps. You see, hobbies are good and healthy. Chiefs games are important to watch for me. But hobbies are not more important than your spouse. We need to give grace to one another. And, and, and when, even when your spouse inevitably sometimes will not respond well, when you come to them with concerns, we give grace to one another and treat them like a teammate and work with them and, and, and prepare yourself to even hear some pushback. Just, just expect them, perhaps, to not handle it well. And then you can think, okay, how am I going to respond? But what if any amount of assertiveness is met with defensiveness? When your spouse is assertive and you get defensive, it's probably because you're not finding your security in Christ. See last week's message. See, it's interesting. If you're finding your security in Christ, you're more likely to be open to critique. But if you're not finding your security in Christ, you're way more likely to be defensive. So remember that opening story I shared on the day after Thanksgiving when I was sharp and insensitive? When, when Heather was assertive with me about her concerns, on the wrong day, I would have gotten all sorts of defensive. Thankfully that day, I was finding my security in Christ. And, I can, and, and so I was able to say to myself, you know what? And, and to the situation, it's like I can be insensitive sometimes. But I felt the freedom to just admit that and own that because ultimately I'm secure and I'm loved by Christ and my mistakes don't define me. Christ defines me. But what if you're being assertive without being aggressive and they always seem to just get defensive? Well, here's some suggestions. First, Jesus taught us this. Get the log out of your own eye. 
perhaps you are actually just being way too critical of them way too often. Perhaps you're actually approaching them, sorry, perhaps you're actually not approaching them with grace, but you're actually quite aggressive and you're not even, even aware of it. So if you're being assertive without being aggressive and they seem to get defensive all the time, I would ask you too, are you, are you praying for God to soften their heart and take down their defenses? Have you actually prayed that? Kind of a side note, but related, do you pray for your spouse? Do you do that regularly? When? I think a lot of problems in our marriage would be solved if we all just took time to pray for our spouse because it would put our mindset as on the same team as them. But again, let's say you're, you're just kind of hitting a brick wall. They're always getting defensive when you're bringing concerns. Well, maybe you could assertively, but very gently, share that concern with them. What if you said, I don't know how to share my concerns with you anymore because it seems like you get defensive every time I do. You'd be surprised at how helpful that could actually be. If none of that, that works, perhaps you could get some help from a godly friend or mentor or counselor or pastor. It's amazing how much someone else's perspective can help. They're not caught in the raw emotion of that relationship like you are. So I mentioned an organization, Prepare and Enrich, has some great tools for having assertive but non-aggressive conversations. And I've used them with many couples, um, and they've proven to be very helpful. So I've actually printed a few, a couple things for you. So um, the front page, and I'll, I'll just set these over here, and you can take one if, if you think you'd find, uh, you'd find it helpful. But first one says, how to take a time out. Some conflicts become heated as levels of anger and frustration rise. Rather than speaking assertively, partners begin to accuse, criticize, or yell. Rather than listening actively, partners interrupt, belittle, and ignore. Physiologically, the fight-or-flight response is triggered as each person goes into a protection mode with little or no regard for the other person. In this state of escalation, it is not uncommon to say or do things we later regret. Moreover, it is nearly impossible to have a productive conversation leading to a mutually agreed-upon resolution. This is when a timeout can be beneficial. A timeout provides couples with an opportunity to cool down identify their feelings and needs, and begin to think productively again about how to approach the issues they have. I love this. Most of us probably just need a time out because one or both of us is just flying off the handle. This has some great suggestions on the rest of this to kind of do an inventory on what we're struggling with. How's, why don't we take a time out when we need to? Or how could we do that and then come back to it? The back says 10 steps for resolving conflict. And so it actually like walks you through, okay, set a time and place for discussion to find the problem, list the ways each has contributed to the problem. Like it actually helps you walk through it because sometimes you're just so stuck, you don't even know what to do next. You feel like you can't even work through this. This could really help you through it. Um, so if you think those things would be helpful to you, feel free to grab one of those before you leave today. And again, if you'd like to talk with me, I'd be happy to help, help you work through some things in your marriage as well. 
All right, I want to look now at verse 30. Ephesians 4.30, it says, And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by Him for the day of redemption. This verse is not about losing the Holy Spirit as believers. That simply can't happen. This verse tells us we were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. So we are secure. We have God Himself living inside of us, and nothing can take that away. What this verse is about is about grieving the Holy Spirit, just like you would grieve somebody else by saying or doing something to hurt them. It's about leaving God out of things. So when you're aggressive with your spouse, you're actually leaving God out of your marriage. When you're refusing to be assertive with your spouse, you're leaving God out of your marriage. And The danger isn't losing your relationship with God. The danger is leaving your only hope for your relationship out. God himself. Tony Merida in his Ephesians commentary says this about Ephesians 4.30. says, verse 30 reminds us that more is going on than meets the eye in relationships in the local church. Relationships involve spiritual warfare. Let us learn to walk by the Spirit and yield to Him in our conversation and attitudes, eagerly maintaining the unity of the Spirit. It's a spiritual battle in our marriages. Marriages that last and thrive are impossible without the Holy Spirit. Every time you choose to be aggressive with your spouse, you're saying no to God and you're saying no to a Christ-centered marriage. And every time you refuse to be assertive with your spouse, you're saying no to God and no to a Christ-centered marriage. And you keep saying no long enough to God in your marriage, you're going to wake up without a spouse. So assertive also means openly and directly forgiving one another. Look at verse 32. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So notice in this verse, the approach, the motivation, the scope for forgiveness in marriage is found at the end of this verse. God's forgiveness of us through Christ. So think of it like this. When when does God forgive us? When does he do it? Right away. Right away. When should we forgive our spouse? Right away. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. Heather didn't feel like forgiving me. I'm sure of it that day after Thanksgiving, but she did it anyway. Why? Because Christ forgave her. If Christ has forgiven me of everything, there's nothing that I cannot forgive of him or her. Be assertive. Say, I forgive you. When your spouse apologizes, like actually use those words. I want you to listen really well because I think these, these things I'm about to say are destroying marriages as we speak in this room. Okay, so when your spouse apologizes to you, don't say it's all right. It wasn't all right. You don't mean that. Don't say, don't worry about it. That downplays the hurt that you just experienced. Assertively say, I forgive you. There's power in words. Words matter in your marriage. I forgive you is clear and assertive. When you choose to forgive, you're actually making 
four main promises. And I get these from Ken Sandy. And I've shared these multiple times before, and I will share them multiple times more. Here's why. We really struggle to actually forgive people in our lives, and it goes against our sinful nature. So the four promises of forgiveness, and this is a great summation of forgiveness found in the Bible. So one, I will not dwell on this incident. So it doesn't mean you won't think about it. You'll obviously think about what happened, but it means when you start to think about it, you train yourself, you take your thoughts captive to move on quickly in your mind. I'm not just going to let it roll over in my mind all day and let bitterness build up again. I'm not going to dwell on it. Two, I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. In marriages, that, that can't be an option. You cannot bring stuff up from five years ago and use it against them. Some of you really need to hear that. That's not forgiveness. You haven't actually forgiven them if you're doing that. Number three, I will not talk to others about this incident. See, you can't forgive him or her for it, but then tell a bunch of other people about it. It doesn't work that way. And number four, I will not, uh, I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. You want a Christ-centered marriage? In the Holy Spirit's strength, pursue assertive yet non-aggressive communication with your spouse. So in a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to connect a bit with God and, and to be a bit assertive with God this morning during communion. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you to go to the back and get the juice and the bread just outside those doors. And I want, as you bring it back to your seat, and as you're probably even standing in line and waiting, I want you to think about this question. Let's go to the next slide. Who have I not truly forgiven? Maybe it's nobody. And praise God if that's true. But maybe it's your spouse. For what? Maybe it's somebody else. For what? So I want you to just really let this question, let's just leave this up here, roll around in your mind. We'll get the juice and the bread and you can come have a seat. And then um, once everyone's seated and ready, I'll come up and lead us through that. So um, let's just take some time in silence, no music, nothing. We're just going to have some silent time connecting with God, really wrestling with him with this question as we go and get the elements here.
So the bread represents Jesus' broken body, making a way for our forgiveness. So as we eat this together, thank Jesus for forgiving you of all your sin. Thank you, Jesus. And the juice represents Jesus' blood that was poured out as he died for us, purchasing our forgiveness. So before you drink this juice, ask Jesus to help you truly forgive the person that you were just thinking about. And perhaps you need some more time. And perhaps you shouldn't drink this today until you can truly forgive them before God. Perhaps you even need to go to them, maybe even today. So, if you, in your heart, have truly forgiven everyone, just as Jesus has forgiven us of everything, Let's take the juice and remember his blood. This I just thank you so much for your forgiveness. And I know it's really hard to actually forgive. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to to actually do it in our hearts and minds. So I just pray that you give each person in here the grace and the strength to be able to walk in forgiveness with other people. And I pray for marriages in here, Lord. I pray that you would bring deep healing. I pray that there could be some honest conversations that happen this week, Lord, that at first just won't make things better, but that in the long run would bring a lot of hope and health to their relationship. And I pray that if their marriage is in here, they just need some help, that they would not be afraid to seek out help. They would be able to lay their pride aside and just say, yeah, we're struggling. We need some help. And so I, I just thank you for each person in there. I pray that they would know without a shadow of a doubt how much you love and care for them, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.